Welcome, everybody, to Victory Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wilson. And today, my guest is such a phenomenal speaker and holistic transformational coach, originally from Iran, but currently residing in California. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's always lovely to be amongst you and your crowd. And it's a blessing. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, blessing for me too. So, you know, I don't want to tell you a story, but you have such a phenomenal story. Um, but how does it start, Bari? What was your childhood dream? <laughs> very interesting. I was raised in a very big family, super wealthy and super miserable. I probably can say the most dysfunctional family I've ever seen. It was my family. And As I was very unhappy as a child, and I was number, what was I? I was a number four kid between my parents, but I was number six for my, my father had two other boys before he married my mother. So I wasn't really middle, I wasn't at the end, whatever it was. And um, I was miserable, like God knows what. And um, I was eight years old, I had this dream was it the vision? Was it a dream? To this day, I'm at the age of 65. I still can't tell what it was, but it was real. I was walking in our street, and then I just had a dream that this massive cloud and is walking down towards me, but the cloud has a profile, like a half a face of a human, not a man, not a woman, and it's a cloud, and is looking down towards me, and it's blowing, like blowing air, but from his mouth is turquoise and pearl pouring out at me. And I feel like I'm I'm going up towards it and reach it. And then it says, I never leave you alone. Follow your dream. I never leave you alone. I was eight years old. I woke up and I when I woke up, I said, oh, this was God. I felt this was God. Of course, I'll come and tell my mother. And then it goes, oh, God never comes in a shape of a, a cloud. No, you can never reach God, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Everybody wants to force you their opinion as though I, I, I said something wrong. Anyway, fast forward, I'm really miserable. I'm very heavy. I eat my emotions. Um, At school, they called my mother and they said, oh, she is so excellent on volleyball. Oh, my God, she's look what she's doing. She needs to get into the team. And my mother said, absolutely not, you know. This is a Muslim mentality. But my mother wasn't religious at all at that time, but it was just a matter of control. And it's just, oh, no, she's going to go and she's going to be out with guys and she's going to lose her virginity. No way. Mm, okay. okay fine, thank you. So then this goes on. And later stage, I was, you know, like, I don't know how old was I. Um, probably a couple of years later, and we were just playing around, and I started just doing some tennis with some, some people. And they said, why didn't you learn tennis? Oh, my God. They called my mom again. I said, did she need to? And she says, no way, no how. No way I let her Really? Do yeah. No, I lose control over her. She can't be that wild. Okay, fine. Go. Now, don't forget, my father was an athlete. He's always been strong and all very, very fit. And um, so I had his gene, thank goodness, genes of my father. And the athleticism was always in me. What did your so father play? You name it. He was a wrestler. He was a boxer. 
uh, and the good old days, you know, my father died at the age of 105 and 21 years ago. So that wow. was 135 years ago. There was no dumbbells and machine. So they would pick up the truck of a tree. They would pick up rocks. And we had his pictures that he was lifting rocks like this. And he was so firm, firmer mm. than any bodybuilder we saw because they were really doing weightlifting. They would hung themselves from the trees and pull themselves up whole to count for so many counts and then bring it down. And he goes, oh, you guys, this is a chicken shed. This is not a gym. <laughs> you know? So it, it was like, he was like unbelievable, strong, very powerful and super super fit and uh, when he died at the age of 105 I never saw him he was back in Iran but he was um, he was only taking one spoon of Mylanta every night no pills nothing he was so strong and he died at that age so uh, his strength his healthy eating habit and exercise kept him going so anyhow I was very miserable I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do. She she would only allow me to just go for a walk and swim in the house because we had the pool and all of that. But miserable like hell. And it brought me so much depression and so heavy. Until I was at the age of 16, my father one day I got in an argument with him and he started beating the shit out of me and started slapping me left and right. And it just wouldn't stop. It wasn't twice. It wasn't three times. It wasn't 10 times. And then my nose started bleeding. And then I started screaming. My mom ran. It was a massive house, huge house. So my mom heard my scream came over and rescued me and just like wanted to kill my dad at that time. Anyhow, and I said, I will leave Iran. And I was 16. So I had to wait. Until I turned 21, I had done all the paperwork and everything was ready. The minute I turned 21, I filed for the papers. I got my passport. And by the time it came two weeks later, I ran out of Iran. I said, I need to find my voice. I need to find me. I need to find my freedom. And that's exactly what I did. And I lied to them. And when I left Iran at the age of 20, just 21, I just turned I weigh 205 pounds and I'm short. I'm only 5'4", so that was a lot of weight for me. And I was really miserable. So I got to England and I see everybody like so skinny. And anyway, I lost the first 50 pounds there. And I lived in England in the misery started in England and I was even more depressed, but I could now run. I could go play tennis. Now I can learn to, even though it was raining. So why did you choose England? Out of all places. Okay, so good question. My my cousin lived in England. And um, I told you my family was wealthy. So my sister had a boyfriend that had broken up with. And my, she was miserable. And she broke up because my mom made her to. So my mother said, since the cousin is there, send my sister with my elder sister to chaperone the younger one to England so she can forget the love for the boyfriend, not knowing that the boyfriend followed her in England too. And I said, okay, they're all in England and I'll just go to England. That was a good excuse to say, I'm going to visit them. Not to stay. I never said that they wouldn't have let me go otherwise. Oh, okay. Said, yes. That's how it happened to be England. I see. Okay. So then what did you do in England? So in England, at first, when I started, I left England, I left Iran to England with 400 pounds of my own money because my parents didn't want me to go. And they said, we're not going to give you money. I bought my own ticket and I made, saved 400 pounds. I went to England. This is exactly 44 years ago, August 22, 1978. 
Wow. To England. And um, I only had 400 pounds. It wouldn't last forever. And I said, okay, now I'm going to become an au pair. Au pair is basically is babysitting for family. So they give you a room. You can eat breakfast, lunch. I don't have to worry about the roof over my head. And I take care of the kids. I had no idea what to do, but I did that. Okay. Yeah. And then I got into, um, I started working in, after that, in boutiques. Um, they call it junior, means the one that folds the clothes and all that. And they give you money under the table because I didn't have work permit at that time. And uh, from that, it increased. And many years, many years in fashion, I opened my own shop, my own boutique. Wow. England, from, from zero, I mean, zilch, nothing. And I had the pleasure of having Lady Diana and Queen of Jordan, Jordan together stepping into my shop that I was about to pass out. But those days, I mean, I've been in America for 31 years, and that was like maybe four years prior to that. There was no cell phone that you can take a picture, and I didn't have any camera. I was just like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> So let me let me ask you this. Um, when you arrived to England, did you know English or did you learn once you got no, there? No, no. I only knew how to say hello, how are you, but don't answer me back because I don't know what to say after it, you know. And uh, no, not at all. And um, I only had a choice when I was in the English family, the opera. They allowed me to go twice a week, two hours only for four months and the rest of it those days again remember nothing was on the phone I had dictionary by my bed so I would read at night and I just whatever I learned the rest of it I self-taught myself I self-taught it and that's why to this day 44 years later I still speak wrong and I use it I don't put s at the end of certain things I don't put there at the end of here and there only because I ended up learning by myself as I worked you know but not as I taught or as I learned it was just speaking with people and learning that was how I learned wow fascinating so what did you do did you watch tv did you do other activities to learn or no I always love to talk and I had lots of people around me so we always talked and I just said repeat it what did you say um say it again go slowly would you say how do you spell it you know but learning Every single, I've never been a TV person, ever. I had a TV in my own room as an opera, but I didn't watch it. So my TV was just to learn English words. How do you put it into a sentence and all of that? You know, I teach uh, English as a second language and I'm always telling my students, you know, learning any language is just practice. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I really didn't have... um, being a fitness trainer for 30 years, um, I've had to get so many different certification. Being a black belt and learning from it, you have to study it. Yoga, Pilates, weightlifting, swimming, all of that. It has a written test as well. Oh, my God. It was mad learning it because I didn't understand the words. So I had to tell to every teacher, you, I don't understand the English meaning of it. And some of them thought it was a cop-out. And I said, I don't get it. I don't know what you're saying. These words are sounding Chinese to me, you know. So that's how I learned. Everywhere I went with me, people have their makeup bag. I had my dictionary with me because that's good old days was that way. You know? Right, right. 
Exactly. Okay, so why did you leave England and go to the United States? My always childhood dream was one day, I never thought I would be emigrating from Iran. My dream was uh, to go to America and visit America. I've always wanted America. Okay. And then when I went to England, I knew deep down what was in my heart. I want to land in America. So I thought I'd go to England. Through England, I'll get my passport, my visa, and then I go to Eng to America. At that time, uh, I used to date this guy who was Iranian and lived in America, and I wanted to see him. And I said, I'll go to America. But soon after I came, I went to England, the revolution and the protest and all of that in Iran started. It was time that they were getting rid of the Shah and American government helped that, of course, um, to happen. And um, they got rid of Shah and um, they closed the embassies. No, they didn't close the embassies. Were, they closed the embassies in Iran, of course, but I was in Amer in England. No Iranian passport was allowed to go anywhere close to American embassies. A dog had more respect to go to American embassy than an Iranian passport, an wow. Iranian person. So I got stuck in England for the next 14 years mm. until I finally got my British passport. And then I came to America in uh, 1991. Um, December 7th, next month, it'll be 31 years I've been in America. I only came through with British passport. They wouldn't have allowed me otherwise to come in, even I then. Right. I see. OK, so once you got to the States, where did you go? You went to, straight to California? Brothers. No, no, no. Oh, yes, I did come to break. Yes. My, I had my two brothers that they were here and they were living in Dallas. And just six months before I arrived, they moved to California. Okay. Oh, I would have gone where they were in Dallas. You know? Yeah. But I just you go where you have family and friends. Right. So I did that too. I came where my brothers were here in California, in Los Angeles. Okay, so your transition to California professionally, what did you decide to do? I didn't know what I wanted to do because I had I was a boutique woman. I was a fashion girl. And I just I used to work out like a dog for myself because I loved it. But then in England, I became an excellent tennis player. I became an excellent squash player. And I was a swimmer like God knows what, because it's cold and you, you swim indoors. So I, fitness was my drug of a day, the way I could deal. I was most depressed. I was, the imposter syndrome was killing me because the society was telling me that I am bad because I'm that Iranian girl, the Middle Eastern, I'm dark. I had, don't look at my hair now. I had five times more than this and it was a jet black hair and my look was Middle Eastern. So we were doomed being Middle Eastern and being, oh, you're that Muslim girl. Oh, you're that Iranian girl. Shame on you and blah, 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 blah. I remember I one time I, I haven't said that, or maybe I did say that. It was pouring with rain and they were in London, they called skinheads. And um, they were always teasing me and telling me things and they're against God knows. I think they're against themselves too, uh, this bunch. And um, it was pouring with rain and I always had umbrella. That day, I didn't take umbrella because I thought it looks beautiful. I left the house and I said, oh, no umbrella. And I would walk to work. And the walk was 30 minutes walk. My hair was down. And then suddenly the rain started. 
but it, the rain started like crazy. And I said, well, I just have to get wet, you know. So I just had like a little, like a rain jacket in case and a windbreaker, not a rain jacket. So, oh my God, my hair is down to my elbows, not here, elbows down. And I'm pushing, I said, I'm trying to go fast. All of a sudden I feel something is poured on me. The skinheads from the top, they poured a green color paint on all over me. Oh my God. <laughs> I was beside myself. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any glasses on. I didn't have, I was 22 years old or maybe 23 years old. I was young, innocent, you know. I have left being an au pair and now I was living in one room, matchbox room, that one one single bed. It wasn't even two and was too, much, too big for it because I didn't have any money. So I was living in like, a, it's probably smaller than a walking closet in some homes. And that was my home. So I was right. walking there and- I just walked with all the paint and everybody was looking at me for 40 minutes until I got to the shop where I was working as a junior and I burst into tears. And there were a bunch of lovely Greek guys that they were doing. I walked in and I, they all freaked out. What happened? And I told them what happened. And one of the, those Greek guys, of course, was like so macho and lived in the same building as I did. And he and his buddies, they went and they took care of the skinheads afterwards. <laughs> oh, they did? <laughs> <laughs> but they ended up giving me clothes there and they ended up shaving my hair all the way because the paint was right to the root of my hair. Oh, you know, so no. I've lived a very, I had every reason to be depressed to have imposter syndrome i was afraid of my own shadows and i said oh my god now they're gonna pour something else on my face you know so it wasn't can you imagine just a 22 three year old innocent girl coming not 22 year old today's girl 22 year old 44 years ago girl right well i know you're a strong person right but how did you overcome that my strength and really my belief in God, I must say, I am a God lover and lots of people don't want to believe it and that's on them. Ton of working out, ton of jogging with my bald hair and it was cold so I would put a headscarf on my head because it was freezing and running and the, the, in England, they have unbelievable massive parks I mean, the parks, you walk in it and you just feel the presence of God. You just you just can't help it that you just think this is the heaven on the earth. Uh, the parks in England are unbelievable. And I was running and I was sobbing and I was crying. I said, God, where are you? Help me, you know. And through ton of sport, incredible amount of sport, I mean, it didn't matter. I would have to get up at 4 a.m. to get my workout done. Then I would. And then later in the evening, I would. I work out all the time. And lots of prayers working out. Um, I never knew what alcohol was because I just didn't. Um, that wasn't my thing. I saw how in my family they would get drunk and my cousins and everybody else and my father would drink and would like go crazy uh, become some kind of a character that I didn't know him. My father was a really tough man, really tough guy. And then when he would drink, he would come like such an ugly baby. And I didn't want that. 
I said, I can never be that. So got into that way of um, being into fitness, being into prayers and um, using my prayers to lead me. Speaking of fitness, you've been a fitness trainer for a, a long time. Yeah, yes. three decades. Mm -hmm. And you worked with Billy Blanks. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Billy Blanks is, oh. uh, he was a Taibo expert. Actually, he coined the name Taibo, right? Oh, literally. Yeah. Tell us about Billy Blanks. I am grateful that I met him and I am grateful that he actually hired me as his um, staff, you know, to be just being there and work. But uh, I mean, staff, not stuff. Look at this is what I'm telling you when I, my English is not good. That's what I meant. But, um, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> believe me, Billy spoke more wrong and inaccurate than I did. <laughs> I was telling me, whoa, 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 whoa. That <laughs> and um, his wife is Gail Blanks, which is a white lady. And they are coming from Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, um, I learned a ton being there and working for him. He lifted me up immensely. I mean, he knew what I was suffering from. He knew I was like going like this and hiding myself from the world. And at that time, I was like, from can you imagine from size 16 that I was such a fat kid? I went to be a size probably four, maybe six, but that was it. All toned, incredibly muscled, immense amount of hair. And my, my cheekbones were all out here. And I was a very pretty girl at that time. But he could see that I'm hiding myself and I don't see my beauty. And he knew that I, I don't believe what people say. And I'm just, I don't fit in. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Don't get close to me. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't matter. You know, it was like all the time I was like that. Wow. And that That is he, incredible. And he, every time that he would teach, they were like, the fire department would come in and um, had to stop people and said, you can't do it. We're going to close it down. So that's why <laughs> teaching many classes in a row in a day there. And um, uh, he always, when he was, they, when they made a place in, in Sherman Oaks, he made a big platform so he can have up so can everybody can see him. And two people, always either his daughter and I, or his assistant and I, or his sister and I, I was always there. Two people would be on the stage and he would pull me up on the stage because he wanted me to lose my fear. I got my confidence back. Two nights before I left England, um, we were walking outside of my friend's house, which was the most um, eloquent, the most expensive neighborhood in, uh, in London. So expensive, so safe. In England, because homes are small, they're only one-to-one. -one. And that neighborhood was that the homes are like two acres of land. So it has to be very rich for you to have that much land as just your home. And it was that. That's where we were. And we were walking seven o'clock in the evening. It wasn't even late. And um, something told me something is going to attack you. I was wearing my Cartier watch. And my friend had a diamond ring, her, her wedding ring that her, his wife, her husband um, changed it for her. And it's like 15 carat diamond. I mean, a diamond this big on her finger. And I said, hey, Simon, take your ring off and I'll take my watch off. And she goes, what? I said, just take it off. I don't know why. I just didn't know why I said that. We took it off. We went for a walk, just do a little loop because she just had a sciatica surgery and she just arrived two days, three days before it, after the surgery from uh, Israel. 
So she was Jewish girl and there's I, a Muslim girl. <laughs> we were best friends because I didn't care. I didn't practice Islam. At some point I did Sufism, which that's another story that I got into a car accident and they kicked me out. They did me a favor again too. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, I went, um, we went around the world and we just came back and I just really, honest to goodness, 20 steps before we get to the house. I felt this walk of somebody with a chain in his pockets or change and I hear it and I looked back. We thought it was my friend's son scaring us like, why did you go for a walk now? And you have to understand December in, 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 in London, it's freezing cold. That night was brilliant. It was so nice that we said, let's go and walk. And as we're coming back, I see this big, huge, tall, white guy, as blonde as he could be, he threw himself on me and he was, I don't know what he wanted to rob me. Thank God I didn't have anything on me. And he was trying to undo my belt. He wanted to rape me. And he put his hand into my shirt and he pulled my bra up. And I'm just trying to fight him. And he wouldn't let me. He's got my hand down. And my friend was like so shocked. What am I going to do? The guy, the woman just had sciatica surgery. He had, she has stitches on her back. She got on his back and she started hitting him him on his spine with one leg that he had. And he, I think she hit the nerve that the guy got up and he started breathing like this. And at the end, he kicked me with his foot and he was limping and gasping for air. That's how he left me and we got up. So all of that, the fear that was paralyzing me for a few years. So I got in America at the age of 34, I suffered massively from, I couldn't forget the, um, the you know, the remembrance. Oh my God, look what happened. And um, they said, you have to go to therapy and all of that. I went a couple of times to a therapy and I said, oh, all I'm doing, I'm talking, but I can talk to the wall. It's not helping me. Right. It's not doing anything. So I left it. And through my constant prayers and being a trainer, but not knowing my way, my prayers out of a blue sky opened my way to Billy Blanks to go there and start working out. And as I was working out and I was just kicking and punching, I had no idea how to punch, how to kick, but I had so much anger on it. And Billy noticed it. And then he goes, you need to start taking classes. You must get into a martial art. You you don't have a form, he said, she said, he said, but said you have so much anger. So I told him this story. I said, this is my anger. I see this guy. And then with my clothes, the karate class was going on one afternoon. He opened the door and he pushed me into the class to the teacher that was saying, and then he goes, she's going to take the class like that because you had to go and wear your geese, the geese is the karate outfit that you wear. And he goes, she's going to be in it for as long as she needs, but she has to do the karate. And she goes, he said, don't come back to this studio ever again unless you walk into that um, um, karate class three times a week. And I thought, I want to be here. And he really forced me and he did me a massive favor. And wow. when he did that, I mean, I, I just wanted to be mad at him. How dare you? I'm paying you. And you tell me, don't come, you know, but he did me a favor. And I got in and um, it took me a while. I mean, I think I was 45 or 46 when I got my black belt. But through all this kicking and breaking boards and hitting and just being 
with myself and washing this anger of my my anger for this guy and all of that i i healed myself from that agony i mean i look at that day that he hit me and i said okay so now what next it doesn't bother me anymore is what i'm trying to say oh that's great mm -hmm. so through all of this you became a transformational coach what does a transformational coach do I did what I did for myself. I transformed myself. Look, you have a choice in life. I always say life is all about the choice. It doesn't matter what is your background. It doesn't matter what color you are, what part of the world you come, how bad you speak English like I do. It doesn't matter. What matters, what you want for yourself. Do you want to continue having pity party? Do you want to continue being miserable? Do you want to continue just taking pills, alcohol, drugs, hitting your child, your mother, your father, your children, your husband, whatever, whatever you deal with? I don't care how bad your background has been. You have a choice what to do with yourself and your life and your head and the mess that fucks us all up to say the most best way. I yet am looking for a family that said, I had a fantastic upbringing. I have no stress in my life and my life was amazing. And I've never had obstacle in my life. I've never seen one. Have you? <laughs> you see? No, never. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so everybody comes from some baggage from somewhere, but what do we do with those baggages? Do we want to continue to get the world? Come to me, cry for me because I am this and that. Or do we want to say, because of all of it, now I am changing. I'm transforming myself. I am creating. We're all creator of our own worlds, world. And our own words will create our world. You know, that's my strong belief. Like when I'm seeing... Being a fitness trainer, do you know how many hundreds of people I held in 30 years, in 31 years? And to this day, I have two of them that I still train them, but I don't I don't accept to physically train anybody anymore because time to move on in life. And through coming, a fat person comes. And then a year and a half, two is like this. Wow, what a transformation. Or... um drug addict comes and then you just see how you work them out, how you talk to them, how you give them discipline, how you make them find themselves of how you create a new world. Wow, what a transformation. And that's why I said, I want to be called transformational coach. I transformed me. This angry, oh, let's talk about anger. I mean, you could not talk to me Two words against what I wanted to say. And I was about to chop your head off. I was angry. I was frustrated, you know. And how did I want to change all of that? Is all about the choice. I didn't want to be in this cage, in this prison of frustration, imposter syndrome, depression. How do I help myself? You know. So you took That's everything that happened to you and you used it to help other people. That's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. I don't believe things happen 
things happen in life to us. We are creator of it. And whatever happens is not for us to sit and cry. What happens, you have to see at the end of it, the light at the end of that tunnel, and find your gift in it, find your healing in it. When I said to the guy, and then he goes, what do you mean? They raped my mother and my sister in front of me. And six months later, they came and they raped me. And I said, yes, they did. But it's over. What do you want to do with that rape story? Be miserable for the rest of your life? Get married from one to another to another? Have 900 kids around the world because you don't want to sort yourself out? You know, we choose to live in a pity party stage or become a hero because of what happened to us. That's absolutely right. And you know what? The enemy will use that against you as much as he can if you yes. let him. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all a matter of, I love what my Angelo says. When you know better, you do better. That's all. And you know when you know you know better? Because some people say, well, I how do I know I know better? Once you look back and you see whatever happened to you, it was injustice and it wasn't right. That means you know better what to do. Do it to yourself and go and help somebody else. That's how you know better. Exactly. At this present moment, you're a transformational coach. Mm -hmm. um, how do people get in touch with you and how does your coaching work? I actually have, I mean, it's always one-on-one -on -one, uh, welcome, but I love people. I'm a woman of service. Yes. Who doesn't want to earn money? Don't you? Everybody wants to earn money. And so do I. That's the only way we can live. But I love to be of service. And because I want to reach out and help more people that they want to be helped. When someone knocks on my door, it has to be the person that says, look, I am ready to help to let you help me create my new me. If you want your new you to be created and you don't want to have your guards up and fight me, but this and but that drop all the butts. These butts means shit, means blocking you for further more misery. If you're willing to come in and you're willing to come open hearted, lift your hands up and say, I'm open to receive help. I'm open to receive abundance for, for that group that they want to be helped. Now I am offering um, for this year is going to be, it's normally $500 a year or $50 a month. But at this point now, if you contact me, it'll be either $250, $250 for one year, or it will be $25 a month. And soon that is going to go back to the 50 and 500. And um, we will have, I'll create a Facebook group. It'll be sacred. It'll be so spiritual, but it will not be religious. Even though I converted to Christianity in 1997 in this primarily African-American church in Los Angeles, is called Crenshaw Christian Center. And my pastor was Dr. Frederick Casey Price. I adored him. And the poor man died of um, corona that his housekeeper brought it to the house. I got baptized. That I love Jesus. I love Moses. 
I love God. I'm a spiritual person. The spirituality is will be in that house, but not talk of a religion. So it's um, my website is www.farytransformation.com. Only one word, farytransformation.com. Or they're welcome to email me at fari, F-A-R-I, fari at farytransformation.com. Wonderful. I mean, what what a, a wonderful uh, service that you're offering at, at such a reasonable price. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to take advantage of this right now. Get in touch with Fari at her website on all of her social media channels. Do you have Facebook, Instagram, Fari? I have Facebook, Instagram, yes. And everything is on the Fari Transformation. If you put Fari Transformation, no space, no space, you see my white hair, you know it's me. It's always the best thing to say. <laughs> And some of it, actually, I think it's me and my darling husband. Awesome. Awesome. Fari, thank you so much for being on my show. I mean, this conversation by itself is transformational. Anybody looking at this would have to work with you. Thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for your help. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Thank you for watching Victory Circle Podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel.